Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, as we get started, I got a question for you. What's the darkest place you've ever been? Is it in the woods in the middle of the night? Or maybe it was your favorite hiding spot growing up and you'd play hide and go seek and you'd always go to the same spot because it was, it was so dark, people couldn't find you there. Where's the darkest place you've ever been? For me, it's the devil's butt crack. It's probably not what you were expecting, but it's true. The devil's butt crack is literally the darkest place I've ever been in. I'm not making this up. You can ask my wife, Amanda. You can ask Tyler. They've been to the devil's butt crack too. You see, it's a cave in the foothills. It's off Route 6 and being about 20 minutes or so from the campus of Colorado Christian University, what we would do is a group of friends and I, we would go spelunking there often. Like spelunk what? REI for caving, okay? Basically, we'd put on a bunch of old clothes, grab a headlamp, some water, and we would drive 20 minutes west, and then on the side of Route 6, pretty much on, just the, randomly on the side of Route 6, we'll pull over, and then you hike 15 minutes up this mountain, and then you go into a dark hole in the ground. We would do this at night because it was more intense. Now I might say stupid, but we thought, <laughs> It was tons of fun. And we would go there a bunch, a bunch. And what you would do is you'd, you'd climb into this dark hole, you'd enter this big cavern, and then for the next 45 minutes or so, you'd kind of contort your body and work your way through, kind of crawling. All of, I mean, we're talking pretty tight space. Uh, and you'd work your way through this cave until you get to the devil's butt crack. And it was literally a crack, 25 feet deep. And the only way out is at the bottom of the crack. So you'd work your way into the crack. Tension is what's keeping you up. And then you'd slowly ease yourself down. And you can imagine that feeling of relief when your feet hit the ground at the bottom. Every time we'd go to this cave, we would at some point in the trek, we would turn all of our headlamps off and we would just sit in the darkness for just a moment. Only for just a moment, because it was as dark as I've ever seen anything. You could literally touch your hand with your face and still not see your hand. It was that dark. Complete absence of light. And we'd only do this for a moment because that kind of darkness is scary. It's, you, don't, you can lose track of things. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Now, going caving like that and experiencing physical darkness like that, it, it can be fun. There's, like, there's a thrill to it, an adrenaline rush that goes with it. But there are times in our lives where we are experiencing darkness and it is anything but fun. When that sin struggle rears its head again and we just are left defeated. When the pain is so deep because the, the wound is so real. There are these times in life where 
it feels like the depression is, is actually oppression. It is that heavy. And, and some of us in this room, we're not even aware of, we couldn't even comprehend the darkness that some of, some of the rest of us have experienced. And when we find ourselves in these times, the darkness is anything but fun. But unfortunately, living in a broken world, we do experience darkness. We experience dark times. So what does Jesus' identity have to do with this? What does it mean when we do face the darkness of life? And how should we then respond if we know Jesus is who he says he is? Well, that's what we're going to look at today as we look at the second claim that Jesus made regarding his identity. If you've got a Bible, you can turn with me and follow along. We're going to be in John chapter 8, and we're actually going to hone in on one verse today. Often we'll go through the whole chapter. Today we're just laser focused on this verse because it can totally change our lives. For many of you, it, it probably has changed your life, and for the rest of you, I pray that it does. If you need a Bible or a place to jot down some notes, you can follow along in our church app. It's a good resource to have. We also got Bibles on the back table for you. We've been slowly making our way through the Gospel of John because we're seeking to answer this very important yet controversial question, who is Jesus? And we've been going through John in particular because the guy who wrote what we're reading was there. He observed the miracles that Jesus performed. He was there when he taught the crowds. He was even there when Jesus made this very bold claim regarding his identity. So we're going to take a look at it today. And before we do that, I want to do something with you all. I want to bow our heads. I want to pray. I want to ask that Jesus would actually reveal himself as we read his word. Lord, we want to know you more. Would you please reveal yourself to us? Some of us might be in one of those dark times right now, and I ask that you would meet them there right now, here in this moment. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we will know you more as a result of our time together today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, before we dive into John 8, let me kind of set the stage for you. You see, about 2,000 years ago, it was actually this time of year, late September, early October. And for the Jews, what that meant was it was time to celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles. This was one of the regular festivals that Jews from all around would come to Jerusalem to celebrate. And what it was really commemorating was way back when, when God had freed his people from slavery in Egypt, they then wandered around the, the a desert for 40 years until they entered the promised land. And in that time, God led his people by a pillar of fire. And he faithfully led his people from slavery to the promised land. Took a while because he was dealing with people and they can be sinful and rebellious, kind of like we are. Now, Every year, the Jews would they'd come to Jerusalem, they would celebrate this festival, and what it would look like is they would bring food offerings, and remembering kind of how God had provided for them, but they're also remembering his faithfulness in other ways. They would actually set up these, these tents and remember that whole time in their, their people's history of God just being faithful, even when they were in the wilderness. Over time, the Jews added a couple religious ceremonies to the festivities to kind of enhance the time together. One of these is really important to us. You see, on the first night of the festival, what they would do is they would light these four giant candelabras, just huge candelabras. They would light them. And that was to remind the people that 
as God had done in the wilderness, he would lead his people. He led them by a pillar of fire. By then, he's going to continue to lead them now. And the second thing that they did is the Jews would all light torches and then they would march around the temple. Okay? And then what they would do is they would all put their torches on the top of the, the walls and it was, could be seen from far away. The idea being that when the Messiah comes one day, he's going to be a light for the Gentiles, all those people who aren't Jewish, people like many of us. He's going to be a light for the nations. So they had these kind of religious ceremonies, traditions that they instituted as part of the festival that God wanted his people to celebrate. And at this point, in this particular festival of tabernacles, it's about midway through midweek and Jesus starts to teach. And as is par for the course with, excuse me, with Jesus, some people believed in him, some people followed him, some debated, some totally disregarded him. And it was actually to this very conflicted audience that Jesus made this claim regarding his identity. John records it in John 8, 12. It says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'm the light of the world. You see, with this simple statement, Jesus is revealing that divine truth is going to replace human tradition. Jesus is going to redeem their religiosity. He, he, he's like, it's cool. You guys had this idea like to light candelabras, to march the torches around, kind of post them up on the, the walls. Let me present to you yours truly. I'm the guy you've been waiting for. I'm the guy who is going to lead you. I'm the guy who is the light for the nations. I'm the light of the world. That's what Jesus is saying in this very context after the people had just experienced all of this just nights before. You know, when Jesus made this claim, some light bulbs went off, some people got it, some kind of flickered, and some just remained completely off. Oddly enough, some remained completely off. You can read it in detail in John chapter 8, and I would, I'd encourage you to do so this week, and you can kind of break it apart, discuss it in your group. But I want to talk about those people who the light bulb would just like was off for them. They, they, it didn't click. Here Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world, and they just didn't get it. You know who it was? It was actually the religious. Isn't that interesting? They, they were holding so tightly to their traditions, their religiosity, that they missed the one that they'd been awaiting. And before we point fingers at them, we could do the same thing. You know, we might look back on our life and we might think, oh, that camp experience, that book I read, that podcast I listened to, that conference I went to, that church I was a part of. And we might think that's the foundation of our faith. But camp's not the foundation of our faith. A book's not the foundation of our faith. Church isn't even the foundation of our faith. Jesus is the foundation of our faith. And we, may we not be like these religious leaders who were blinded to this reality. May our religious traditions, experiences, may they not eclipse the light of the world. Because Jesus is the light of the world. And do you know what darkness is? Darkness is the absence of light. You're probably thinking, that's really profound. 
you want to say that again? <laughs> Gladly. Darkness is the absence of light. You can write that down. And if this doesn't work out, this whole pastoring, preaching thing, I might just send my resume to NASA. So who knows? Elon Musk or me, we might be on Mars. Who knows? Darkness is the absence of light. And without light, things are going to remain in the darkness. I'll try to illustrate it this way. Um, maybe you've had the same experience. You know, like when you get up in the middle of the night because you got to go to the bathroom and you try to make your way to the bathroom. I mean, you know the layout of your bedroom, you set it up, and yet you try to make your way to the bathroom and then boom, the dresser. It's like it jumped out in front of you. You, you eventually you get past the dresser and then ouch, it's the door. And eventually you, you make it to the bathroom. The only thing is you gotta make it back to your bed. But you know what would make, it, would make it a whole world of difference? If you just flip the lights on. Then the dresser stays where you put it and the door is open like you thought you left it. Light makes all the difference as we're trying to navigate life. But when the lights are off, our bedroom can even feel like a minefield. And that's the way life feels at times. Life feels like a minefield when we're walking in the dark. Jesus talked about it, and, and, this, and he's aware of this whole reality. So actually later in John, this is from John 12, he, he says this. He says, whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so you may become children of light. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. I mean, that pretty much sums up many of our experience, doesn't it? It's like, oh, I didn't know that relationship was going to blow up. A another loss in the family? Really? Siri would like me to say that again. <laughs> there are these experiences that we have, and, and it feels like life can be a minefield because it's like we didn't see it coming. And we get tripped up. It could be, that was, a, that was a rough week at work. So we figure, I guess a six pack it is. I don't know what it is for you, but when we're walking in the dark, when we're living life without Jesus, it's really hard to navigate life because Jesus is the light of the world. And it's no wonder that, that navigating life apart from Jesus hurts. And it's way, way worse than stubbing our toes when we experience the pain of betrayal. It's a lot worse than bumping into a door when we are confronted with our failure. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19 talk about this this way. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Sometimes we actually get so lost in the dark that we don't even realize we're stumbling through life. We're feeling the pain, we're feeling the hurt, but we don't realize why that is. And the good news for us is that we don't have to live in the dark. Jesus is the light of the world and he wants to be the light of your world. That's why he said this back in John 8. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Being the light of the world, Jesus reveals the darkness in us. 
He brings light to those sinful tendencies, even the ones that others don't see. He illuminates our selfish thoughts, our pride. He shines a light on our weaknesses, our failures. But hear me in this, he doesn't do any of that maliciously. He does it very graciously. Because as long as these things remain in the dark, they still have power over us. But they don't have to remain in the dark. They don't have to have power over us. Life with Jesus isn't a life of oppression. It's a life of freedom. In this same teaching, Jesus excuse me, later said this. This is verses 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then a little later in verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. You are a child of God, which means we don't have to walk in darkness. We can walk in the light. And we don't do this by our own power or our own strength. When we believe in Jesus, he gives us his spirit, the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit, to live in us. And it's the Holy Spirit who is strong when we are weak. It's the Holy Spirit who actually will reveal the sin in our life, but then help us see Jesus all the more clearly so that Jesus can redeem us. He can cleanse us of that sin. No longer do we have to stumble through the dark. We actually get to walk in the light because of Jesus, empowered by his Spirit. And as the light, Jesus doesn't just save us from like past sin. He actually protects us from future sin. And the key way he does that is through his word. Just listen to this. Psalm 27, verse 1 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Here we see, you know, we know, we know from experience, fear resides in darkness. Like, it, darkness is scary. Physical darkness is pretty scary. Darkness in life, really scary. None of us want that kind of darkness. But there's no need for us to be anxious or worried or stressed or all bent out of shape because we don't have to live in the darkness. We know the light of the world. And as I was saying, his word is actually what lights the way. Later in Psalms, Psalm 119 says this, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. It's as if scripture is like a flashlight revealing the way we should go. So instead of you know, figuring out the hard way, that God has a design for relationships, we can look to Scripture and see what God's will is for sexuality. Instead of looking at the Joneses and, and seeing that, oh, they, they seem to have it all and have it all together, I wish my life looked like theirs, we can actually learn to be content, joyful even, even when life's hard, especially when life's hard. That's, that's the kind of way that Scripture reveals to us. It doesn't say that we're not going to face hard times, but it gives us an ability to navigate those hard times through God's wisdom, through his word. Paul, uh, the apostle Paul, he picked up on this idea of Jesus being the light and then we being lights. And he describes it this way in Ephesians chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, I actually encourage you to turn with me to Ephesians 5. We're going to spend most of the rest of our time together here in this passage. We're just going to look at a couple of verses, starting in verses 8 through 10, 
Here's how Paul kind of describes all this. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Until we know Jesus, we're living in darkness. We've talked about that. We're trying to make sense of the shadows, but it's hard to when we don't know the light. But as soon as we know the light, the, the, the switch is flipped. We can start to see clearly. and We can figure out how we should navigate life. Now, even amidst the darkness that still plagues our world, we're going to still face those hard times, our lives can actually be characterized by different things. Instead of disappointment and shame and guilt and depression, we could actually know goodness and righteousness, truth, these things that, that God would have for us. Let me, uh, let me try to illustrate this in a completely different way. Several years ago, Amanda and I got to go on a bioluminescent kayak tour. This is in Grand Cayman. We went on vacation together before we had kids, and it was an incredible vacation. Now, each day we did like one kind of excursion, and on this particular day, it was this bioluminescent kayak tour. So we showed up at 8 p.m., and the guide was from New Zealand, so anything he said instantly sounded awesome. A couple other couples were there. He gives us the whole spiel about how to be safe and how to kayak, etc. We hop in the boats and we start to make our way across, you know, along the shoreline, and then to we're gonna work our way to this bio bay where bioluminescence is. So we're working our way there, and most people kind of figured out how to navigate a kayak, but there was a couple that particularly liked bumper boats, so we learned our lesson and just, just you know kind of steer clear of them. We're trying to follow the guide following the beacon on his boat, we eventually arrive at this bio bay. And the guide says, all right, everyone turn off your lights. Like, like no lights. Beacons on the front of the kayak, everything, everything's turned off. And then he starts to talk about what bioluminescence is. He says, bioluminescence is life emitting light. And he says, if you'll look really carefully at the water, you might see like little sparkles here and there. He said those are like these microscopic organisms, and when they're at rest, they'll kind of sparkle and glimmer. But when you put your hand in the water and stir it up, it, all of it gets activated, and this is what it looks like. This, I didn't take this picture, but uh, I had to find it on Google. We weren't allowed to bring our phones. So this is what it looks like. You like put your hand in the water, and then it would be this glow. It's like the ocean version of fireflies. And it was the coolest thing. Bioluminescence, life emitting light. As followers of Jesus, we're children of the light. Our lives should emit light. But how? What does it look like to emit life, light, excuse me, in a dark world? Well, picking up on what Paul was saying, I'm just going to give us four practical ways that we can have our lives emit light, all because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. All right, and the first one is this from Ephesians 5.11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So this means no longer are we going to blend in with the world around us. We're not going to be a, a contributor, an active participant in that conversation at work with the coarse joking around the table. Like We're not part of that anymore. Because we're not going to be part of those fruitless deeds of darkness. Second, he says, 
Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. The idea behind this is we're going to leverage every opportunity. It could be a small opportunity. It could be a large opportunity. It doesn't matter. We could be right in front of the person, the cashier at the store. We're going to look for opportunities to be a light in their life, to, to, to be a positive person, somebody who ex- they, they could experience God's love through us. Third, it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. You know what the, the lifeblood of darkness is? It's drunkenness and sexual immorality more often than not. And as followers of Jesus, we're not called to live that way. We're called to live a different way. We're we're called to to shine in the darkness, not participate in the darkness. And then fourth, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul goes on to give all the different relationships that you and I have in life about mutual submission to one another, husbands and wives, kids and parents, employers and employees. In each relationship, we should be light. It's not dependent upon what the other person does. It's how we respond ourselves. Because the bottom line in all this is that Jesus is the light of the world. So be a light in your world. These are just four practical ways that that Paul fleshed out in his letter to the church in Ephesus. But to close, what I really want to do is I want to illustrate it this way. Could someone hit the lights up here real quick? You see, apart from Jesus, this is like our reality. It's dark. We're aware of our sin, our disappointment, our loss. But it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to navigate life like this. We don't have to stumble over tripping hazards. You see, Jesus is the light of the world. In life with Jesus, you can see a lot more clearly. You know where you're going. You have a better perspective of where you've come from. Jesus is the light of the world. And when you, when you turn from sin and you turn to Jesus, this is the kind of life you get to live. You get to walk in the light. You don't have to be tripped up anymore. Him his word, his spirit, they all reveal the way to live. It's not always going to be easy, but it's good. It's better. And if you want to follow Jesus, you can let us know on your connect card. I'd love to talk with you. You can catch me after the service. I'd love to talk with you. But the cool thing with Jesus is it doesn't doesn't end here. When we believe in him, we're just getting started. You see, he invites us to be the light of the world ourselves. He said it this way in Matthew chapter 5. He says, talking to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world, A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Jesus invites us to be a light in our world. And I'm, I'm gonna go on the record and I'm gonna say, I'm gonna be a light. And I would invite you, if you wanna be a light for Jesus, to raise your cell phone flashlight too. You can do that right now. This is the invitation that Jesus gives to us. He is the light. He's gonna illuminate way more than we ever can. But together, when we're stirred up, how cool would it be if when people come, they start to experience His love in our community? They start to see a little more clearly because He's at work in us. His Spirit's at work in us. And together, we're shining for Him. It takes a community to reach a community. So, may we be the light of the world. May we be a, a town on a hill. May those around us see Jesus' presence in us. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are the light of the world, that we don't have to walk in darkness. Thank you that we can have life with you, that we can experience that, that we can know you. And we would ask that you would help us as your followers to shine bright for you. Help us to shine when it's easy and help us to shine when it's hard. And we know that lights shine brightest in darkness. So would you even bring us to the darker places of our society so that we can shine for you? And would you strengthen us by your spirit when you do that? We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.